This morning, you can open up your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. And I won't think bad of any of you if you get nervous and leave during the middle of the service. Uh, not because of the preaching, hopefully, but <clears throat> um, you're nervous uh, either trying to get down the hill. By the way, it's easy to get down the hill. It's easy to get down the hill going to town. I appreciate those of you who came from town. Um, it's it's easy, for, but staying on the road's not always that easy. But uh, <clears throat> Right, Zach? Going out this way sometimes? Uh, yeah. Zach, uh, being from the San Fernando Valley uh, a couple of Christmas Eves ago, uh, he showed his driving skills on the way out. And, uh, anyways, <clears throat> God's good to us. It's beautiful outside and a uh, uh, great day to worship him. Last week, um, we we began really our study in the book of Philippians. We actually did start two weeks ago talking about some background. But this this morning, we are talking about confidence. And uh, there's so many different uh, facets of our life that confidence matters. I, I think uh, w- one of the most clear examples is sports. And in every sport, there's, uh, there's a display of confidence or a shakiness in one's own heart that causes them to fail, but a confidence that causes them to succeed. Um, I love baseball, and there's plenty of examples for that, but I, I think of basketball the free throw uh you know no one's guarding you no one's guarding you it's not this incredibly difficult shot you can practice it over and over and over again and yet uh lebron james still misses free throws frankly quite a bit you know uh uh you know for a guy who's supposed to be the best or the greatest of all time um how come he can't make free throws? It just seems so simple. Um, and what it is, it's because life is coming at you. Life is coming at you. And the idea that you can kind of get your heart harnessed around, it's going to be okay. I can do this. Um, and then uh, not just convincing yourself on the inside, but then being able to actually do it on the outside. Uh, some of you, uh, have been golfing before, and I'll just say it, leave it right there, okay? Um, golf is the same way, right? Uh, in any sport. And unfortunately, uh, it's not limited to just sports, right? Uh, there's confidence in other things, too. There's, and when I bring up the word confidence, there's insecurities, right? That uh, those same thoughts uh, about the same issue. You know, one is, I can do it. The other is saying, oh, I can't do it. I, it's not going to happen. This is not going to turn out well. Um, and some of us even play mind games, and uh, we try to psych ourselves up uh, for the day or for the event, and we sit there and we go, I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. We talk to ourselves. And then uh, sometimes that works out well. And other times, uh, we shouldn't have listened to ourselves because we couldn't do it, um, and we fail miserably. We're talking about confidence this morning, and I hope um, as we go through God's Word, there there will be in your own heart uh, this idea of what true confidence is. How do how can I be confident, um, even though I have so many insecurities, even though there are so many areas where I struggle. 
you picture uh, any particular game that you can think of, or maybe even a situation where finances are involved, or maybe um, anything that you can think of, you can picture someone walking into a room like this, and everyone's yelling at them, everyone's saying you're going to fail, everyone, and and the, the particular individual has a smile on their face, and they're walking confidently, they're not you know, they're straight up and down and they're looking people in the eye. These same people that are screaming at him saying, you can't do it. And he smiles and nods and acknowledges them and goes around. You think about that in a, a issue of sports where they're, they're walking into the, the opponent's uh, stadium or uh, gym and, and the same thing, all the fans are yelling at them and he's looking at them acknowledging and he's, he's smiling to himself and then the game begins to uh, happen and as the game happens um, he's behind uh, the score is not in his favor and yet the the look on his face is one of like there's something that I know that you don't know uh, there there's something that you haven't factored in that I know about there's a secret uh, that you don't know a reason that I'm going to win. I really believe as we look at this passage this morning, um, there's like this ultimate confidence that we can have, but there's also a secret that we hold of the the win is assured uh, because of the truth that we believe. And so if you'd stand in honor of God's word, I'd like to read to you the first 11 verses of the book of Philippians. God's word says this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more with all knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so uh, be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. God, we ask your blessing on your word. Uh, May you encourage us now uh, to walk faithfully and in confidence of you. God, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Last week, we looked at those first few verses and really can be termed gospel thankfulness. Uh, this idea that everyone needs Jesus. Everyone 
needs God to do His work in them. And the best they become afterwards is a servant of Him. And so there's this uh, thankfulness and joy that comes from knowing that you're His. And I hope that you share that this morning. And when I say share that, that we partner in that, that, that your joy is coming from knowing that your sins are forgiven because of Jesus. Unfortunately, part of that good news is that we are needy people, that we are not self-sufficient, uh, self-confident. Uh, it, it's not about self-effort. Um, it's not about our hard work that we brought to the table. And so we end with gospel thankfulness. Needy people changed by Jesus. And this morning, we're just going to continue on this more joy because of Jesus verses, if I could say it that way. Um, the, the first point I have for you this morning, starting in verse six, is this, that we have confidence in the work of Christ, confidence in the work of Christ. This verse, verse six, is one that uh, should be yours, should be yours. I, I realize you should memorize the whole Bible. We'll have a test on this next week. Um, but verse six, uh, is one of those verses that I, I believe is one that you should write down on a card. Uh, I'm not in favor of getting tattoos, but uh, if you're going to get a tattoo, okay, uh, this would, uh, you, you know, th- this is the kind of verse that you don't want to forget. Um, and there's a reason because it strikes at the, the core of your confidence, your confidence uh, and how you approach life, and even uh, more importantly, how you approach death. Okay, um, this verse tells some important theology or some important truths that we can hang on to, um, and it goes like this: in the midst of him talking about how he's grateful and thankful for their salvation and their partnership, and uh, that he's a servant, and uh, that Timothy's a servant, and uh, that the overseers needed this, and the, it's all this great stuff of the gospel. And he says, I'm grateful for this. And he says this, verse 6, and I'm sure of this. I'm sure of this. Now, what are you sure of right now? When it comes to this afternoon, what are you going to do this afternoon? Uh, many of you have plans, big ones too. Man, you, you, you go home, put a couple of logs on the fire, you know. Um, take a nap, you know, these are, and, and I want to say, are you sure of that? Are you sure of that? You say, well, I'm going to head home. Are you sure of that? Are you sure you're going to make it home? Uh, are, are you sure? And, and you start thinking about that and you say, I'm not really sure of anything. I had great plans. I had great ideas of what was going to happen next. And my life has shown me over and over again that I don't know what happens next. Uh, I have great plans but they don't come to fruition. One of the the greatest examples to me is unfinished projects. And when I say unfinished projects, I'm thinking about, you know the the house on uh, Woodford Tehachapi? You know what I'm talking about? As you, uh, that that house that, you know, as the shells over here and the wild rose station over here and you drive down and there's this beautiful half-built house on the left. And that house, I don't I don't have the, you know, I don't have the the details on it, but it's been like that for a while. 
Um, and it, it seems like it was a great plan. It's a beautiful house. It seems like it would have been a beautiful house. And maybe someday will be a beautiful house. But something happened. Something happened. Uh, you know, if you know what happened, don't blurt it out, okay? Um, if you know what happened, they could have ran out of money. Can you imagine that? I think you can, right? Uh, things cost more than you expected. And so you had this great plan and you said, I, I think I can build it and I got this beautiful, but I ran out of money. Maybe uh, someone got sick or there was an injury and it, it connected with them and their health went bad and so they couldn't finish it. They couldn't finish it. Uh, maybe, maybe there was some event in life that came up that became more important that drew them away. Maybe, um, maybe they just got tired of doing it and didn't want to do it anymore. Or maybe um, they just bit off more than they could chew and they couldn't figure out how to finish it. So the house stands there in the snow. Nobody living in it. Half-built house. Uh, there's another one. There's a, another one in Stallion Springs where foundation is laid and that's all. And you can buy it. I think it was for sale. I saw it a couple weeks ago. Uh, it was going to be a great house, but things fell apart in the family. There was another one I, I remember seeing it when I first moved here. Some of you may remember it as a hotel or motel on the way outside of Mojave. Uh, and it just sat there for a while, and I drive by, and I go, I wonder what happened. I wonder what happened. An unfinished project. An unfinished project. And then I went over to your house, and I looked around, and I saw these things. How come that's not finished? How come that's not done? And I want to tell you the same reasons that those bigger buildings uh, are the same reasons that things aren't done at your house. Ran out of money. Ran out of time. Ran out of passion for it or things came up or you just bit off more than you could chew and it was above your pay grade. and You didn't think about that uh, when you started it. You didn't think, you thought, ah, oh, I can finish this. But the reality was that you couldn't unfinished things. And I look at this passage and Paul writes, he says, I'm sure of this, positive of it. It's not the idea that uh, he's pumping himself up and he goes, uh, I'm the greatest. I know I can do this. Uh, he's not saying that. He says, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm positive. This is going to happen. And so uh, I want to tell you that kind of confidence. I want to get that. I want to bottle that up. I want to make that part of my own. I'm sure of this. Well, what is Paul sure of? Uh, we read we read on in verse 6. He says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ, Jesus Christ. Paul's saying, I'm sure of that which you can't see right now. You can't see it right now, but I'm sure of it. I, I want to point this out. This all hinges on he, right? He, and if you look at the passage, I believe he's talking about the God the Father. God the Father. The plan of God working out. The plan of God 
working in the lives of individuals to do something, to start salvation in them. Um, as you look at this, he, he's sure of that which we cannot see right now. But the reason he's sure of it is because of he who began it. Um, most of the reason uh, that things aren't finished or, or, or aren't able to be completed is because of the one in charge of completing them, right? Uh, it's, it's dependent upon them. And what he's saying is, when it comes to salvation, when it comes to your life in Christ, uh, for the idea of you being completed and ready and fit for heaven, he says this, he says, God says, I'm the one who started in you. I'm the one who started. You think about that, um, it's important to realize and to embrace and to know that God is the one who started your salvation. If it was because of your self-effort, finishing it is also, it's on you to do. If you started the house, you need to finish the house. If God the Father started the house, He will finish the house. Think about that. That's so important for us here this morning. I'll tell you why. Think about the day that you came to know Christ. Uh, maybe for some of us, it's hard to remember the day, the exact day. Maybe it was when we were young, and but we were, it was clear that God was doing a work in our life and caused us to understand our sin and to understand our need for salvation, understand that Jesus was the only one and that we began a relationship with Him. Okay? Uh, you know, there's a great feeling that day. There's a great, amazing, even as we talked about the snow and uh, being forgiven, there's a great sense of uh, purity to that day where you go, man, it's, everything's new today. Uh, start of a new life. Well, for those of you who have trusted in Christ, have you failed between then and now? Yeah, miserably so, huh? Miserably embarrassing. Like you can't believe it. Can't believe that that the things that you've done after the point of salvation, and for some of us, the idea that the the trials, you know, uh, beginning a life with Christ, you say, Christ, I'll go anywhere with you. I, I'll follow you anywhere. You know, you, know, you find yourself like some of the disciples. You know, I would die for you. I would die for you. And then uh, a family member asks you about Christ, and you shrink down. <laughs> you know. You, you think of the temptations of the old things and they come back and you, you give in to them again. And you say, I was ready to die, but I folded like a house of cards when temptation came. And what happens, what happens, it causes us to question, will I make it? Can I make it? It seems too difficult. Uh, I was thinking about um, uh, running. I was thinking about it. I wasn't actually doing it. I was thinking about uh, I was thinking about my friend Will here. And a couple of years ago, he did a, a Bible study, Run for God. Uh, there was this, you know, building up and building up. And I was thinking about running a marathon today. Not just a marathon, but a double marathon. Okay, would, you, would you be able to do that today in, in your situation? Like just right now, this afternoon, like we're talking about, would you be able to? And you say, well, no, no. And some of you say, well, I'd be able to get pretty far. Some of you think you could do it. I'm like, I can't stand it. Uh, but um, 
But uh, uh, you say, well, what if you had to run a double marathon? What if you, and, and, and everything wrote on this, everything. That your salvation was based on whether you could make it to the finish line. And some of us would be going, oh no, oh no, I can't make it. I don't have the the, the physical ability. I, I haven't been training for this. It, it's too far. I, I, I can't do it. I have some health issues. Like they're, they're, It's too far. I can't make it. I want to tell you that that's what self-effort is. That if your salvation is based on what you can do, it's truly based on what you can do. And I want to tell you, it's not enough. It's not enough. If you started the race, you have to finish the race. Okay? I want you to get this. This is so important. But what does the scripture say? He. He who began the good work in you. The good work of, of salvation. Who started the process in you. Who, who uh, brought life to your dead heart. If he's the one who started it, then he's the one that the one who never lacks resources, the one who never lacks the skill, who, who never lacks the, the commitment, who never will run out and quit a job. He's the one who started it. He's the one who will finish it. Um, I, I want that verse to encourage you because your sins are many. Your sins are many. Temptation, the failures, they're not just for one generation, right? Or one phase of life. Uh, the sins of your youth, uh, unfortunately, can be also the sins of your age, right? Uh, it's not that you quit sinning when you reach a certain age. It's just that some of the temptations change over to other temptations, right? And there's still opportunity to fail miserably. And I want to tell you, I want to encourage you to keep going. Why? Because he who began the good work in you, a good work in you, the salvation work in you, is committed to finishing it. Uh, this may be discouraging to you, but it, it shouldn't be. It says uh, that he will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He points uh, to the day of Christ's return as the the final of all that, the, the completion of all that. And re we realize, too, that that's for those who are here on this earth. Uh, the completion for us is death, right? If, if it's that, it's either death or the day of Christ Jesus. And as we think about this, it's very important for us to remember that everyone here, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, is in process, in process. Sometimes it shocks us how sinful we can be. It should, because God did not save us for that, right? But to say this, that he remains committed uh, to bringing us to completion the day of Christ Jesus. That should be a great comfort to you. Um, as you look at those uncompleted projects uh, around your house, there should be a reminder that you are the uncompleted project. But to know this, that you will be completed because it depends on the work of God, not your own self. 
Oh, that's good news. And, and we'll, we'll go. There are some things that God holds us accountable to in the book of Philippians as we go on. But at the beginning, as part of his rejoicing, as part of his gratitude, that he looks upon the salvation of men and women like, like me and you, that, that we are, our salvation is dependent on the work of God, the work of God found in his son, Jesus Christ. Think about that. And so there's great comfort, even in your failings. There's great comfort, even in the difficulties of life and your stumbling, that God's at work in you and he's committed uh, to bringing it to completion. You will not be like that house uh, near Golden Hills over there, the one in Stallion or the ho- hotel over in Mojave. Actually, you will be like the hotel in Mojave because it got finished. Um, but it'll be a lot nicer. Anyways, um, and it won't be someone bailing somebody else out. It's God finishing his work in you. Um, man can't finish his projects. Man can't do it. They can finish one, but there will be others that won't be. God starts and He finishes it. Important for us to remember. In this, uh, the same idea of gratitude. So, so Paul's super thankful that I and confident because of what's going to go on in their life. He goes back to uh, caring for them, and he expresses his own care for them in verse seven. Care for the teammate brothers, okay? Uh, it is right for me to feel this way about you all. Uh, he uh, expresses uh, all this, all these feelings that are coming out of thanksgiving and prayer. And um, he, as he thinks of them, he, he's excited about them and he's joyful. Why? He, he says, because this. It's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me uh, of grace, but in my uh, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel, God is my witness how I yearn uh, for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. This is a display once again of the unity that we have because of Jesus. Why are we as different? And I said last week, weird people. Uh, why are we connected? It's because of what Christ has done. And as Paul thought of this church, we remember two weeks ago, we looked at it as Lydia, right? There, there was a Lydia there. There was a Philippian jailer. There was probably this young girl who uh, was, you know, demon possessed and households and others and probably slaves and other people, neighbors that they all were part of this new church. And he says, I, my heart is with you. Why? It's because of Jesus. It's because, as he says, it's because we share, um, we share grace. We share grace. And when, when we talk about our story, there's really only one story, right? There's only one story. Jesus died for sinners. And I'm included in the sinners. Okay, that's the one story. But that puts us in the same group. That puts us in the same exciting story that you were saved and I was saved, not on the basis of what we had done, but because of what Jesus did. And what it does, it unites our hearts uh, as a team, as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so as Paul reflects on them, he says, I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me 
of grace. You're standing in the same lines. Why are you here? I don't know. Why are you here? Well, I made a mess of things. Hey, me too. <laughs> me too. I, uh, you know, I, I'm struggling. Yeah, me too. Like there's this back and forth of we share something so important. We share the, the, the need for the grace of God. Even more, uh, even as things go beyond just the grace, uh, he says this, he calls them partners. Partners. It is right for me to feel this way about you. I hold you in my heart. We're partakers of the grace. grace. And he says, both in uh, my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel. It's not just that they needed grace for their own sins, but now they are partners in the work. And that's thrilling to me. That's thrilling to me. Uh, because we are part of a church here. And I love it. I love to see people uh, serving and uh, their Sunday school classes going on right now. I was talking to a lady before and she says, I get to teach Sunday school today. And I go, praise God, that's a partner. Uh, she's dealing with the little people. I'm dealing with the old people. Sorry. Just wanted to say it that way, right? It's in comparison, right? Uh there's this beautiful partnership. And as I think about it, you know, uh, I don't know if you noticed coming in here, the uh, the sidewalks were shoveled. They may not be shoveled now, but uh, uh, they might be. But uh, like, who did that? Who Who is in charge of that? I don't know. It's just magic. There's magic here at Bear Valley Church. You know, things just happen. You know what that is? It's partnership. It's partnership. It's working together in God's work. And so there's this, not just this unity because of the grace that we needed to experience, but there's also a partnership, uh, uh, linking arms and going, we're a team together. We're a team. And, you know, um, I'll, I'll tell you, when the team falls apart, it, you know, it's that whole I thing. There's no I in team. When, when we think that we are the most important person on the team, we think that we should get what we want. We think that we're more important. You know, that uh, we, when we think that we have the gift of criticism of others who are serving, like, that's, the, that's what causes a team to fall apart. And so as Paul rejoices and he's thankful, he's thankful because they've been partners together. Um, interestingly enough, he says partners in his, in, imprisonment and his defense of the gospel picture that right uh one is not in prison and the other is paul's been in prison but probably house arrest right now you know he's stuck uh the defense of the gospel he goes out there to those who disagree and he is defending the faith and it's they're pushing in on him and uh he says you've been partners with me uh, not when times were going swimmingly and everything's going great, but prison in the defense of the gospel. Uh, this produces this as well. This connects our hearts so much so that he's confident in verse 8 that he says, For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Um, I want to encourage you about something. Uh, that we are meant to live, love, and die for one another. That 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 our connection isn't something like, oh, I think they go to our church. 
I, you know, I kind of, I kind of know. But that he is wanting to develop relationships here because of the grace that we share, because of the partnership in the gospel, that our heart is with one another. And when you hurt, I hurt. When I hurt, you hurt. And there's this yearning. And, and even if there's separation, right? Because there was separation here that our heart is with one another because of the work that God has done. And this is that thankful joy that comes. Why? Because of the gospel. Uh, Because God has made us to care for the teammate brothers that we have, brothers and sisters. Third point this morning, verse 9, prayer for the future. This is a great prayer that you can pray pray for your your teammates, your children, your your spouse, your other people that you you live in the church with. Uh, Here here it goes, verse 9. And this is Paul's prayer for them. Because he loved them so much, this was his prayer for them. And this is my prayer, verse 9. This section is all about prayer, and he he intertwines us, and this is kind of what happens uh, when we are connected with, with one another. We desire to pray for them. He says this, verse 9, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more uh, with all knowledge and discernment. Uh, First of all, that their love, we sing of this. We have a couple of songs that talk about growing in love. The love that God has expressed to us now grows in us. And that there's not a sense of graduating from that. It's not, not a sense of, oh, I got it. I got it. But that it would grow more and more. Uh, that that would be the the thing that would be growing in us, the love that God has given us. Um, and he says this with, with knowledge and discernment. The idea being this, um, sometimes in our world today, and it's true in Paul's world as well, that when people talk about love, it's this indiscriminate, uh, not based on knowledge, not uh, just, oh, I just love everybody, it doesn't matter. No, the love that God has is a love that sees greater needs. It's the idea that knows how to love one another. It's the idea that's knowing exactly what God wants to do and how He wants to encourage the people around us. So God's love in us uh, is equipping us. It's equipping us for the days ahead. So love first. He's praying for that. And then secondly, He's praying that they would choose well. Uh, verse 10, uh, verse 10, He says, So... Um, uh, with, with knowledge and discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless uh, for the day of Christ. As, as he prays for them, he, he prays that they'd be able to see, that they'd be able to see, and not just to see, but that they would be able to choose well be, based on that, right? Uh, that they would be able to choose that which God has for them. That they'd be able to approve what is excellent. Um, there's options in this life, right? There's options. Uh, some of us get overwhelmed by the options. I think of our young people and just all the options that are out there for them and all the choices that are out to make. He says, I, I pray for you that you might be able to prove what is excellent, to be able to discern in the midst of all the options, this is the one that is best. This is the one that he has for us. And uh, as he says, approving what is excellent, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. You know, uh, our choosing 
our choices that we make um, are putting us and keeping us on the path that God desires. You know, these are uh, every day we have a choice. We have a choice uh, for purity of, of honoring the Lord or not. And he says, I pray for you. I pray for you that you'd be able to identify that which is excellent so that that would fit you. Uh, that would be going along with the work that God has promised to do in you uh, until the day of Christ Jesus. And the last thing he prays for, verse 11, that uh, it would produce something. And then verse 11 says this, uh, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes uh, through Jesus Christ. Uh, This idea that this life that God is at work in has love and spiritual discernment and choosing well that this produces something that is filled with uh, the righteousness that comes from knowing Jesus. One last thing, uh, probably the most important. Uh, How does this verse 11 end? Look down. How does verse 11 end? It says this, uh, to the glory and praise of God. To the glory and praise of God. Um, I said last week, that joy, happiness, thanksgiving, uh, it's all over the book of Philippians. It's all over the book of Philippians. And for those of us who struggle uh, with discouragement and a lack of joy in life, uh, this should be a study for us. What is it, what is found in the book of Philippians that I can get joy out of? And so... Um, Sometimes we think about joy and happiness as going into Walmart and uh, saying, where's your joy and happiness section for me? And I want to go into that section and I want to go grab something for me so that I can take it home for me and get joy and happiness for me. Uh, I want to encourage you about something and it will be revolutionary for you if you've never thought about this. Your joy and happiness isn't about you. It's not about me. When God saved you, it wasn't so so that your your life could be continued to be centered around you. As Paul reveals this thanksgiving that he's having, this joy that he's experiencing, this connection that he has with believers, it ends up in verse 11. Uh, the conclusion of all this is what? If you look down at it and think think about what we've already gone through, and it says, to the glory and praise of God. That your life in Christ, why He saved you, why He's going to complete you, is for Him, for Him. And when we live our lives in such a way that we want to get for ourselves in a selfish way, There's an emptiness. But when we live our lives in such a way to bring glory and praise to Him, what we are saved for, this is where the joy and thanksgiving and happiness comes as a byproduct of doing what we are saved for. Okay? Hope that's helpful for you. I have three things for you this this morning as we... uh, conclude our, our section today in our joyful journey. The first one is this. I want to encourage you to trust in God's completion. Whatever's going on today. Whatever's going on today. Whatever you're struggling with. Uh, 
whatever. If if God is the one who started, if you if you if this is all about you and you're, you're trusting in your own self effort, uh, go back to the beginning, right? Uh, God needs to start the work in you. Trust in Him. But if God has started the work in you, rejoice that He will be the one to complete it. That He's not done with you. That He He won't quit on you. He won't say you're too big of a mess. God will bring you to completion. Trust in His completion. Secondly, uh, I want to encourage you to understand the team concept. Um, as He has saved you, He has saved you to be part of this team. I, I trust that if you're here this morning, you, you, you're just here, right? This is where your spot is. He has saved you to be part of this team. And so uh, to think of yourself in terms of what does God want me to do in this team here? How does he want me to encourage my team members? How does he want me to uh, be thankful for them? How does he want me to partner with them? Uh, think about that. Remember that. It's, it's loving, it's caring, it's being thankful for others. And lastly, just to remember that your life was meant, uh, your new life in Christ was meant to glorify God. To glorify God. That this life, this whole life, is all about glorifying God. And so as you make your schedule, make your priorities, you think about what you should do and shouldn't do, I want to encourage you to ask the question, how can I glorify God? God, what do you want to do in my life? Uh, I want to tell you that will bring great joy to your life and happiness. Selfish things never end up well, uh, but glorifying Him as uh, He's desired uh, that will produce the joy that we're all searching for. Please join with me in prayer. Father God, thank you for this morning, the blessing of this time. Uh, we ask that you would uh, cement these things to our heart. Help us to remember uh, this amazing truth of your completion of us, in us, uh, to do your work in us, to grow us to what you want us to be. God, I do ask that you'd bring safety on the roads on the way home. Uh, thank you for your church in Jesus' name.